everyone, welcome back to Let's Talk Physical Media. My name is John, and this week is just going to be me on the show, no faith this week. Even though we're married and live together and share a bed, uh, we don't always get to see each other. Unfortunately, this weekend, that's one of those weekends. She's babysitting, doing a bunch of stuff, working, so unfortunately, we couldn't get together for about an hour to do the show, so it's just going to be me, but don't worry about that because we have a great show planned for you guys, and we're going to start it off like we do every single week with the news. And this week, we got Shout and Scream Factory's October announcements. And for everybody who was like me hoping we were going to get that Nightmare on Elm Street box set that we've been hoping for because the one that we have right now is very bare bones. You know, they double up with movies on one disc, like two and three and four and five. They share a disc and it's not the best package design. And we really were hoping for something in long lines of like that Friday the 13th box set that came out a couple of years ago, which we will be reviewing every single Friday the 13th film here on the channel starting in September, you know, just in time for spooky season. And, you know, September and October, that's when the studios are releasing all of their Halloween releases, getting ready for spooky season. And we were hoping for that Nightmare on Elm Street box set, but it didn't come. And I'm starting to get worried we're not going to get one anytime soon. I think they're having the same exact issues that the Friday the 13th set had, where certain movies are tied up in certain rights. So to get a definitive edition, they'd have to work that all out. But hopefully one day we get that, because if any franchise needs it, it's definitely a Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, people will argue that that's the greatest slasher character of all time. And I don't know. I still go back and forth. Obviously, we have the big three. Is it Michael? Is it Jason? Or is it Freddy? You know, you ask me on the right day, it's Jason. I find that the Friday the 13th series is the most consistent. Are they the best made films? Absolutely not. They're all pretty trashy, but they're so damn good and entertaining. You know what you're getting into. It doesn't matter which one you grab. They're all at least good in their own way. You know, they're nothing special, and they never try to be. They never try to go outside their box, but they have mastered that box. So I think that's the most consistent. I think that, you know, the Halloween franchise, it ebbs and flows. You know, we get some highs, but we get some really damn lows. Like, and we still are. I thought we were past that, but unfortunately, Halloween Ends came out last year to just knock me on my ass and remind me, you know what? We can make some really shitty Halloween films if we want to, and they sure have. But this time, for this Halloween, we're getting a bunch of good stuff from Scream Factory. One of them I'm really excited for is 1988's The Blob, a remake of the 1958 film of the same name. And the 1988 one, I think, is the much better film, and I actually don't own it physically. I was talking to Matt yesterday, and he owns it on Blu-ray, so he said he doesn't know if he's going to upgrade, but I'm definitely going to be grabbing this this 4K. If you buy it right through Scream Factory also, you get a really nice alternate slipcover, a poster. Um, it's a little bit more money, but if you buy directly from Scream Factory, you also are lucky enough to usually get it a little bit earlier. So that's always a plus for buying directly through them. And then the other big one, also on 4K, is Pumpkinhead. Pumpkinhead is a 1989 horror film. I don't really remember this one. I do want to see it on 4K, and I gotta be honest, that slipcover that's on it is absolutely gorgeous, so it kind of just makes me want to grab it just for that. And then the big one that they're pushing as far as their big series release this year is Night of the Demons 1, 2, and 3. One will be on 4K, 2 and 3 are only on Blu-ray, but you can get all three of them if you want. I've actually never seen any of the Night of the Demons films, so I don't know how good these could possibly be. If you guys are fans of these films, let me know in the comment section, because I'm very curious about them they look like something that 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 i would be into and i was googling it uh safe search was on on google so all the images were blurred out so it must be a little bit screwed up in a way and i'm very curious about that uncle v this is where you chime in here so i'm very curious about how this what these movies are about would i be interested in them? 80s horror is always up my alley so i'm very curious about that and then for all of the martial arts fans out there we're getting the shaw brothers collection volume three 
So if you're a fan of martial arts films, this is right up your alley. I think I've told you guys in the past. I'm not a big martial arts guy. You know, I'm really just into, like, the Bruce Lee movies or really homages. Like, Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill is clearly an homage to his love of martial arts films. But they've never really been my thing. Uh, Bruce Lee films, like Enter the Dragon's coming out on 4K this week. I'm excited to check that one out. That's probably the martial arts film that I've seen the most. My wife, Faith, if she was here, she would chime in a little bit more. But she's a big fan of martial arts films. She grew up with them so I've only really watched them really only because of her or at my first job I worked with this guy Sean who was a big fan of the Ip Man movies I think only one or two were out at the time but he loved them and he showed them to me but I've just never fallen in love with that kind of with that type of genre of film and I've never run back to it it's just never been my thing so I'm not too excited about the Shaw Brothers Collection Volume 3 but maybe you are so if you are you're lucky it's coming to 4k very soon well I guess not 4k it's coming to blu-ray very soon so lucky for you guys October that one gets released and everything that was announced from them pretty excited i won't lie though i'm a little bit underwhelmed the last three years we've been spoiled with friday the 13th box sets and halloween box sets so it's a little disappointing this year to see that the series that they chose is night of the demons you know obviously arrow video is going to be releasing their hellraisers whatever the hell they want to call it of torture set that's coming out with the first four hellraisers on 4k they're also releasing the psycho films you know two through four on 4k which i'm really excited about i gotta grab those soon you know i'm just looking for a way to get them imported here i've never really done that where i've pre-ordered something to have sent to the u.s i've always kind of gotten it after the fact off of amazon so i'm looking into how to do that because i really want those psycho 4ks to complete my collection it is a little weird that i only have the original psycho that came in my alfred hitchcock collection that came out a couple years ago and actually speaking of the alfred hitchcock collection they announced volume three this year which includes one of my favorite one of my top three alfred hitchcock films only behind vertigo and psycho and that is rope i absolutely love rope i haven't decided if i'm going to get the complete collection or if i'm just going to buy rope on 4k because everything else in the set isn't really up my alley as far as you know alfred hitchcock people don't realize that he made like almost one movie every single year from like the 1930s through the 1970s like he just kept cranking out film after film after film like he wasn't one of those auteurs in the sense of like Stanley Kubrick where Stanley Kubrick would only put out a movie like every five to six years once he had full preparation for it. Alfred Hitchcock just kept working man he never stopped working he even had a TV show the guy was just always going he just knew how to make a thriller like you and I know how to make eggs so he was just doing that so I don't love every single Alfred Hitchcock movie because when you make that many films some are always going to be better than others and for me you know you get the classics in there like Vertigo is one of my favorite films of all time Notorious North by Northwest which is just all-time classics Rear Window but then you have Rope. Rope is the one that never gets talked about. I think it falls in line with like movies like Lifeboat where, you know, he mastered that one setting thing. But with Rope, he was trying to do what a lot of filmmakers try to do now and shoot the oneer. Except it's very obvious where they had them do the cuts and stuff where they go behind a piano or something like that. But it's still done fantastically. It stars Jimmy Stewart. That's one I cannot wait to get my hands on in 4K. So I'm really excited that they announced that. And I believe that's coming out on Halloween, October 31st, which tells me that that Halloween is on a Tuesday this year so that's pretty cool new release Tuesday and it's Halloween can't go wrong with that and that was really it as far as news goes we finally got confirmation from Kino Loiber that Kujo is coming I believe on October 25th on 4k I knew that was coming I'm excited about that 
I will always talk about the fact that the dog in that movie is a St. Bernard, and that bothers me because I've had a St. Bernard, and that was the sweetest, most loving dog that I ever had. It was also the dumbest dog I ever had. So I can't see a St. Bernard being that plotting and vicious. Also, it's the same dog that's in Beethoven. Does that dog seem vicious to you? No, he's just really big and hairy. That's why people get scared of St. Bernard's. But they are not the smartest of dogs. I saw a couple of Blu-rays are getting Steelbook releases in the fall. One of them is Memento, and I don't think that's a U.S. release, but I already have Memento on Blu-ray Steelbook, and it's the same exact scan. But I like the Steelbook that I have. That's a Canadian release that I had imported here, and I absolutely love it. But this one's pretty nice, too. I get really hesitant of buying movies on Blu-ray now because I just feel like they're going to come to 4K eventually. Actually, if you guys know Jeff at Films at Home, he did a video this week talking about that very thing, about how us collectors have gotten burned in the sense that, you know, they keep releasing movies on Blu-ray, and then a few months later, they release them on 4K. You know, this happened recently with Megan, and then last year with Malignant. Malignant was the big one, and that's Warner Brothers, so that doesn't shock me. Uh, Warner Brothers just loves to take as much money from their fans as they can, and, you know, we got the... CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery out there talking about how they saved $100 million from the strikes that are going on, which should just tell you how unself-aware this guy is and just how much he really does care about the people who do work for him. But that doesn't surprise me. Any CEO, COO, vice president of a big corporation like Warner Brothers Discovery, Disney, any of them, they don't even have to be in the entertainment business. They're usually very out of touch with the people who actually make them money because they don't see us all as regular people. They just see us as either worker or just, you know, anyone there to do the job. Very replaceable, not that important to me. All that's important to me is that number at the bottom of the spreadsheet that says profit and how much I grossed that year. And that's it. And that's all they care about, or quarterly in this sense, because they all just did have their quarter two income shareholder meeting calls or whatever the hell they call them. So they all just had that going on, reporting how much money they've made or lost. And, you know, they know how to put a nice little twist on how things are going, you know, make it sound positive so the stock doesn't drop. You know how that goes. For us collectors out there, it is very disappointing. It makes you very hesitant to buy a movie on Blu-ray because you think that that movie is going to come to 4K down the line. And, you know, it happens a lot, especially like with A24. I'm always very hesitant to buy an A24 movie that only comes to Blu-ray. If it comes to 4K, like everything everywhere all at once which got a special edition release through a24 which is also on 4k it's beautiful it's like in line with their midsommar or the lighthouse 4k releases but it's not like a big visual upgrade i mean i can't confirm that because i haven't seen it but you know when they do something like that at least it's only a 4k but when they release something just on blu-ray like they just announced past lives is coming to blu-ray i believe on either september 5th or the september 25th but it's coming just to blu-ray and that movie is getting critically acclaimed and i could see that coming to 4k next year and it's the same thing with like pearl and x i haven't picked up pearl and x on blu-ray because there's all these rumors that once maxine comes out which will complete the trilogy that we will get all three of them in a really nice a24 4k box set and when that comes out i'm gonna want that so i'm very hesitant to pick up x and pearl on blu-ray which are two of my favorite films of last year pearl is my second favorite film from last year i think that movie is a masterpiece and i don't have it in my collection which kills me because i want to own it but I'm not going to grab it if it's going to come to 4K very soon. Like, I slept on Malignant, I waited, and then eventually it came to 4K. It's a beautiful 4K, it's a great film, but what you're doing is ripping off your customers. Your customers who would probably buy the Blu-ray because they think that's all they're going to get, especially from a studio like that where you don't release every single one of your films on 4K. You know, you kind of make a conscientious decision as far as how much money you're going to make on the Blu-ray, and then if you don't make enough money, you don't release the 4K. I get what you're doing, 
but it's just wrong to do that to a consumer who already isn't making the most money with how the world is going with inflation and the rising costs of gas and oil. And these people have to worry about that and food. And then you take in the one little extra thing that they love, the one thing that they spare a little money for each month away from them to double dip and try and get money from them for the Blu-ray or the 4K. Or you have studios like Disney who hold back certain features like IMAX scenes or Dolby Vision and only release that on Disney Plus. So you get them to invest in Disney Plus because that's where you put all your eggs was in that basket. It becomes very disappointing. But I do have to point something out about Disney and doing that on Disney+. Plus. Uh, speaking of Jeff at Films at Home again, he did his review of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 on 4K. And Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is in my top 10 films of the year so far. I love that movie. I really want to revisit it. Just got released also on Disney+. Plus. And, you know, usually that's where I'll go rewatch it now because they don't put all the special features on the 4K anymore. They don't give you the IMAX scenes and they don't give you Dolby Vision. Well, turns out they brought those IMAX scenes back for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So now I'm thinking maybe I should grab Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and do a review for that on 4K because I want to see what they did. How comparable is it to Disney Plus? I'm really glad that they brought that back. You know, maybe they're trying to stay face after the whole Australian debacle and not releasing movies there physically anymore. Heard also that's getting rolled out into other Asian markets, which is very, very disappointing you don't like to hear that but apparently it's happening so i think disney is just trying a bunch of things out they'll wait for those spreadsheets to come out see how the money's moving around and then eventually they could pull out a physical media completely i wouldn't be surprised at it by all but i think that would just be something that's relocated to disney i don't think that's something that would affect other studios i think that they're mostly invested in the market i just worry about this because Disney holds the rights not just to their classic films but to 20th Century Fox's classic films or renamed 20th Century films so they hold all the rights to those so movies like Fight Club and Aliens which have rumored 4k completed scans that are just sitting there in a vault somewhere you know or really just on a hard drive somewhere waiting to be released to the world but because Disney doesn't want to invest in physical media it hasn't been released to us the fans yet so it makes you worried and all Disney has to do, as I have such a simple solution, it's in the boutique labels. Criterion, Kino Lorber, Shout Factory, Arrow Video, Umbrella Films, like all of these would release your movies throughout the world physically and you don't have to do any of the work. All you have to do is allow them the rights to the movie temporarily to release it like you did last year with Criterion and Wally. -E. And that's it. Let them do all the work, and all you have to do is get the kickback of the profits. Whatever you guys agree to, just let's just say 10%, and that's it. And you get the kickback. You didn't have to do any of the work. They did all the work. They do all the packaging. Maybe you help out with the distribution. But that's a win-win for everyone. And the biggest winner would be your fans of your films. If you want to stay face a little bit, release your fans to the physical collectors out there. You know, I know we're a minority out there. We're not really the biggest and loudest people. We're just out here trying to collect our movies physically. And, you know, because we just enjoy the art of it all. And I feel like if Disney understood that a little bit more, maybe they would be a little less protective of their rights. You know, I get it. You made the films. Why would you want someone else to release Cinderella on 4K when you can do it yourself? But I promise you that nobody will release Cinderella on 4K better than the Criterion Collection would. So that's something that they should think about. I feel like it's sitting right there in front of them. If they love money so much, it's sitting there. If you love money, there's a way for you to make money without actually having to do work. And it makes everybody happy. It's a win-win-win. Like, why wouldn't you do that? But you know what? I'm not in these meetings. I don't make enough money to be in those meetings. They would just see me as some poor schlub who's just complaining it like everybody else. And I understand that. I get that from the outside looking in. That's how it may seem. But 
I really do think that this is something that would be beneficial to everybody. But that's just my opinion on the matter. And before we get into the questions, just one more quick note of something I wanted to talk about is they just announced the 4K Steelbook or the 4K Blu-ray for TMNT Mutant Mayhem, which I actually saw this weekend and was really surprisingly good. You guys should check it out, especially if you're a fan of animation, especially if you're a fan of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Although I've talked to some Turtles fans who have seen the movie and they haven't enjoyed it as much as I have, but I'm also not a hardcore Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan. I grew up with the original trilogy and that was really my connection to it and the video games the well specifically the Super Nintendo video games but that was it I haven't really kept up I haven't loved the 2010s movies the 2007 animated movie but this one felt like a breath of fresh air and definitely feels like it would speak to a younger generations of Turtles fans and I think they're gonna love it you see this at the right age this could become your definitive Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie and the physical release is absolutely gorgeous I love what they're doing with the skateboard on the cover uh, I think that looks great you know there's so many opportunities here for some great artwork, and this could open the door up for the possible 4K releases of the first three movies, which are, so far are only released on Blu-ray, which I would love to see the original movies. They did have a really nice pizza box box set that came out with the first four, with you know, with the original trilogy and TMNT 2007 animated film in there. If we can get that and switch it to 4K, man, we'll be eating good then, and then I promise you the Turtle fans will come out. So if this movie does good enough, I think we could get a tie-in and get the originals on 4K. We'll have to wait and see. Those are the only four movies that so far haven't been released on 4K, so it would be cool to get those on 4K, and I know a lot of people out there would be very happy with that. Let's see what we get with that. I think that's coming out in October or November, or maybe they haven't even announced the release date yet. Maybe they just released the art. I don't know. I could be just speaking out of my ass here. Who knows? We'll see it when we get to it. But anyway, guys, let's dive into these questions. We got a bunch of questions this week. There was one that included Faith that we're going to hold off until next week just because she's not here and I can't speak for her. And if I did, she'd probably be a little upset with me. So let's dive into these questions. And the first one is from Rico Gomez. And he said, this is about James Cameron. How would you feel if there was a new Terminator 1984 4K with new CGI added and removing all the bad effects? Thus, Cameron doing what Lucas did to his Star Wars 1977. Would you be upset? I would 110% be upset with that. That is absolutely the wrong decision to make. I think George Lucas made a mistake with that when he did it with the special editions back in 1997. I actually like some of the changes that were made to the special editions, such as adding the Emperor into the Empire Strikes Back, you know, replacing the actor that they had doing it in that film, and bringing back the Emperor that we know. That makes perfect sense. That was a good change. Even some of the effects were cleaned up to look pretty good. But it's when you start messing around with like adding stuff in the shots, like they on Tatooine and the New Hope, they add a lot of CGI stuff in the background to make it look more fuller because it looked a little bit empty. Or you know, especially on Tatooine when Han Solo, the Han shot first thing, we had to make it, we had to make sure that Han looked like a face instead of a heel. You know, even though he is a scoundrel, we had to make it sure we had to make sure it looked like he didn't shoot first to the point where we have a terrible effect to move his neck to the left. I mean, ugh, that is just so ugly. I would have just preferred. If they never touched them up at all, I would have just left them alone. I still don't understand why they haven't released the original trilogy on 4K untouched. Like, I feel like that's just, again, Disney just having money sit there. My best guess is there's something wrong. This is what I was talking to Shamrock. He said that he heard that 
something happened to the original camera negatives that they're not even available to Disney to do that. Or it could just be a deal with George Lucas in the sense that he doesn't want those to be released. So if he doesn't want them to be released, maybe when he sold it to Disney for $4 billion, there was an agreement in the contract that said you never get to release the original films on Blu-ray or 4K or physically. Like, no one can see them unless you already have the pre-1997 editions. And, you know, I could see that being there. It's his films. He could do whatever the hell he wants with them. And that's the same thing with James Cameron. He can touch up the Terminator all he wants. He seems like the kind of guy that would probably want to go in there and clean it up a little bit, especially like some of the effects in the hotel with the eye or, you know, later in the movie where, you know, it's clearly the Stan Winston, Arnold Schwarzenegger double when he's in the truck. If they want to go back and touch that up and, you know, clean it up with some modern CGI, I, he seems like the kind of guy that would want to do that. He's always been on the cutting edge of technology. Terminator 2, he was the first guy to really blend CGI and practical effects. So it would be done to perfection in Jurassic Park a few years later. But he wanted the T-1000 in the original Terminator. He just didn't have the technology to do it. And that's always how George Lucas felt about the original trilogy of Star Wars movies and why he didn't even do the prequel trilogy until the late 90s is because technology had to catch up to what he wanted to do. So it made sense for him to go back and clean up the Star Wars movies and do it in his original vision. It just, you know, unfortunately when you do things like that, it betrays the fans of the films. I feel like a movie's made, don't touch it. Leave it alone. You know, it's like getting in a time machine, going back and looking at how movies were made back then. I go back and watch movies from the 1930s. There's horrible effects in there, but it's like getting in a time machine and going back to the era. Now, I have complained on this channel about bad CGI and how that hurts movies. And, you know, the 4K for the core this year really showed how bad the special effects of the CGI were for that movie that weren't noticeable back in 2003 when the film originally came out. So I get that, but again... It's like getting in a time capsule, going back, and what the time was, and knowing how they had to make films. In 1984, this is the best that The Terminator could look. I love that movie. It's a 10 out of 10. I love every single aspect of that movie, so I would be 100% offended if they cleaned it up. But again, it's not my movie. It's James Cameron's movie. If he wants to touch that up and put out edition that looks like shit... He can do it. It's his movie. He, and without him, we wouldn't have the Terminator. I'll always have it on DVD or Blu-ray. I would be upset about it. I'll come on this channel and 110% complain about it if that's what we get. But he can do it. It's up to him, really. He's the reason why we don't have the Abyss and True Lies on 4K yet, even though they've been rumored for like four years now. So who knows, you know? But it's really up to him and it comes down to him. So anyway, that was a great question, Rico. And the answer simply is... I would be offended. And the next question is from Kevin L. And he asks, rank the following movie characters. Jack Torrance, Travis Bickle, Jack Dawson, Michael Myers, Yoda, Marty McFly, John Wick, Happy Gilmore, and Tommy DeVito. Well, number one, you got my first two in order, actually. Jack Torrance, played by Jack Torrance, played by Jack Nicholson in The Shining. This is an absolute perfect performance in a career of perfect performances from Jack Nicholson. It does. It's still only his like number two or three because his Chinatown performance would always be number one, and my heart is always going to speak to the Joker in Batman 1989. But this. This is arguably his best performance of a man just losing his shit as time goes on, you know? A man who might have already had issues before they got to this hotel, now being locked in a gigantic hotel which has its own powers that we know about as the movie goes on. Really just starting to break down a man, an alcoholic, a troubled father, a possible abusive husband and father, just losing it, drowning. Just the world is crumbling down on him, and then he just finally breaks. And those scenes when he breaks, that's what he hired Jack Nicholson for on the staircase. Hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. 
it is just absolutely incredible. One of the best performances in film history. You really can't take nothing away from it. So that would be my number one. And then at number two, I put Travis Bickle. I actually just rewatched this because I'm going to be reviewing the 4K here on the channel. Depending on when you see this, it'll either be out tomorrow, Monday, or if you've way past that it's already out and you can check out my review on the channel now but his performance as Travis Bickle is iconic and it has so many layers to it every time I watch the film I take something away from it something different you know I was watching it recently and I'm looking at you know how this guy is you know it's a guy who came back a marine he's only 26 years old just came back from Vietnam and he just doesn't know what to do he can't sleep you know he might have a mental disorder in the sense like he might be autistic he has bad social skills we see that throughout like he just stares at people but he doesn't take in what they're they're saying he's like very cold and he's just trying to make it in the world but he has no idea how he's doing it alone he wants to do it alone in a sense it's all shown perfectly on his face not even just by the acting the words that he says by Robert De Niro just but just watch him when somebody else is saying dialogue and just look at what Robert De Niro is doing with his face acting and how he's trying to portray like this guy who's like trying to take it in but he's just not comprehending it. It's all there. It's such a great performance. So that would be my number two. And number three, it's going to be Tommy DeVito from Goodfellas. I mean, if you're taking one of Joe Pesci's best roles, and that is his best role, and that came out the same year as Home Alone, which always blew my mind. They are so different. <laughs> like, you're scared of Tommy DeVito from Goodfellas. That guy will lose his shit and absolutely murder you. While in Home Alone, he might threaten to do something, but he's too much of an idiot, and he decided to team up with Marv, who's an even bigger idiot, to rob houses as the wet bandits or later become the sticky bandits the two of them they're just bumbling morons they're just house burglars and they're just absolutely hysterical while tommy devito you might laugh but you're laughing out of fear very different characters played amazingly by one of the greatest actors ever in joe pesci that role earned him his only academy award in one of the best film roles and one of the best films that should have won best film that year but you know what dances with wolves won i don't get it how do you how does any film beat goodfellas <sighs> Goodfellas only competes in the best films ever list. That's it. That's it. We're only talking about what is the best film ever made, and Goodfellas is in that conversation. Not for the best film of 1990. I think it easily wins that. So then on to number four, I'm going to have to go with... Uh, this is tough, but I'm going to go with John Wick, because I think that we've built up enough over the course of four films to understand the guy. And I always love a great story where you bring in a character and... Everybody else knows that character, but we don't know that character yet. Like, we just see a man who's just lost his wife, got a dog because his because his wife didn't want him to be alone, and then to see that dog get killed, and we don't know what he's capable of doing. We're seeing it laid out for us by the other characters in the movie. Like, when he gets that call from John Leguizamo, the Russian guy, and he's like, well, why, what's the big deal here? He's like, oh, they stole John Wick's car, and they killed his dog. And all he says is, Oh, like, I know what's going to happen. This guy is going to bring himself, the biggest killing machine in the world, to his doorstep now. And that's it. He can't escape it. He's done, and he knows he's done. He already knows the outcome of this film before we do, because he knows, no matter what I do, I'm going to try my hardest, but no matter what I do, there is no way that this man is going down, and that's exactly what's going to happen in this film. And then that's what's going to happen in, J in John Wick Chapter 2, John Wick Chapter 3, and then in John Wick Chapter 4, which may or may not be the concluding chapter of the John Wick franchise, we get to see John Wick just go out in a blaze of glory, taking people down in what it happens to be about three climaxes in this movie, and they're all just shot beautifully, and you care about this character who doesn't even speak that much, but you know why he's there, you know why he's angry, and you know why he's there to kill every single person in the room, so the best bet for you is just leave. 
just get out of there because you ain't competing with that. So John Wick would probably be my number four. And then I'd put probably Michael Myers at number five because Michael Myers, I prefer him in the first Halloween movie, the first two Halloween movies where we don't really know too much about him. Yeah, they kind of uncover a lot in the second movie, but that was always what I stuck to. You know, he was always Laurie's sister, but he was always the shape in the first movie. That's I don't need the evil explained. I like it when he's just an entity. He is just evil incarnated in a human. And that's it. That's all he is. He's just a walking force that can't be killed. And I didn't need to know his whole background. I just needed to know that, you know what? Whatever he is, he can't be stopped. I know what they were trying to do, bringing him back in Halloween 4 and Halloween 5. And then really for the rest of the franchise. Because when they tried to make it an anthology series with Halloween 3, it shit the bed. I wish it didn't because I think Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, is still the best Halloween film. But, you know, um, again, I'm not in the room making decisions and money makes decisions. And unfortunately... John Carpenter's original idea for the franchise didn't work out, but Michael Myers is iconic. I enjoy a lot of his movies. Like I said, they even had a nice resurgence here with Halloween 2017, Halloween Kills, and then it died again when Halloween ends. So that's really unfortunate, so I was reminded that, hey, Halloween films can be bad, even with Michael Myers. Curse of Michael Myers does exist as well, and I know it has its fans, but Halloween Resurrection is not a good movie. And that's going to be coming in just ahead of Yoda. Yoda, I can't put that high just because he's only really in Empire. Yes, his role in Empire is iconic. Then he kind of dies in Return of the Jedi. And then we get to see him in the prequel trilogy. You know, I was happy to see him fight, but I didn't need to see it. It was cool, but again, it looks so CGI. And I'm just not a fan of the prequel movies from the Star Wars franchise. If you are, happy for you. They're not for me. I keep trying. I'll keep trying for the rest of my life, but I'll never get behind him. So seeing him in that, eh. And then when he comes back in The Last Jedi, it is a very emotional scene. and is arguably the best scene in the movie. And that's probably what ended up having them bringing in Baby Yoda into the Mandalorian series. But again, I feel like Disney has kind of watered down the Star Wars franchise with the amount of TV shows they've had and the movies. And they have said that they are going to be pulling back and not doing as much. So I think that's the best thing for the franchise. Give us some air, you know. We had the original trilogy end in what, eight? 82, I blink, or 83, and then we didn't get another Star Wars movie until 1999, and then that was it through 05, and then once 05 came around, we didn't get another one until, I think, 2015, so we need some gaps. Let us build up some anticipation. We don't need two Star Wars movies a year with three shows. It's just going to water down the product, and then you got this, Then you kind of see that the foundation that it's built on isn't the greatest so you know Yoda is kind of built in there where he had his best work in his first film and then it's kind of just been good to shaky at best throughout the rest of the franchise so I can't put him any higher than that and next up is going to be Marty McFly because Marty McFly is awesome and played by Michael J. Fox in the first Back to the Future movie it's two and three that kind of dragged the character down for me uh, it is cool to see an older Marty McFly in two you know everything looks cooler when it gets older the futuristic stuff about Back to the Future 2 is awesome but I just don't think the whole movie is a whole holds up i feel like it's more of hey let's try to make everything look like what we think the future would look like and more of the production design carries that movie than the story like the story for the first back to the future is iconic and there's a reason why it's remembered as one of the best movies of the 1980s and arguably the second best time travel movie only behind the terminator of course so you can argue that his performance does help to carry that movie and if you know they didn't even have michael j fox first he was actually the second actor to come in and play him and he is iconic it's his best role. He carries the movie. Uh, you know, Christopher Lloyd does do a lot of work, too. But he is 
the backbone of that film. And then 2 and 3 just kind of dragged that character down just because I don't love those movies, 2 especially. But 3 is still, eh, it's still pretty good. But if I'm going back and watching the Back to the Future movies, I really just watch 1 and forget that 2 and 3 exist. That's just my personal opinion. Maybe 3 is decent, but... 2, I think, is very, very, very overrated. I know some people have told me that 2 is better than 1. I 100% disagree with that. And then next up, second to last, is Happy Gilmore. Now, I can't put him higher than the other ones because everyone else is like an iconic character. And Happy Gilmore is hysterical. He is, this is my second favorite Adam Sandler movie behind Only the Wedding Singer. It goes The Wedding Singer, Happy Gilmore. And then, you know, I don't know what to go next. I'd probably go with a dramatic role like Uncut Gems from him. But he is great as Happy Gilmore. Happy Gilmore is hysterical. Like, when he's just getting training, he's like, gotta get, got one year to next year's hockey practice, and he's just taking the balls to the chest. Oh, that one hurt. You know, the movie, you know, he loses his cool. Don't you want to go in your home? The hole is your home, you know. But there's all the characters around him that are just as funny. Shooter McGavin's probably more iconic than Happy Gilmore to this point, because every time you see Christopher McDonald, you think Shooter McGavin. Well, when you see Adam Sandler, you think, hey, that's the guy who's in Billy Madison. The Water Boy, you know, there's so many other movies. Big Daddy besides Happy Gilmore. He was just on such a run in the 1990s. You can even argue that he's more remembered for his SNL stuff. Like, Adam Sandler's just had such a great career. And I don't think Happy Gilmore stands out in that career. I just think it's a great role. And then that obviously brings us to last, where I'm going to put Jack Dawson, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, in The Titanic, which is a fantastic film. But I don't come back to that film for the romance between Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio. They do a good enough job, but I think that I'm really there for the James Cameron stuff. I want to see that ship sink. You know, they really built that boat. And when I was a kid, I always watched the second VHS right after they hit the iceberg. Because they hit the iceberg at the very end of the first VHS. But at the start of the second one, the ship's sinking. And that's where the film really builds up the drama. I never really was... As much as I love Leonardo DiCaprio, and I'd probably put him in my top five, top ten favorite actors of all time now... But I don't think he got on that trajectory until we got to The Departed in 2006. Everything before that is good. I mean, there's one thing that stands out to me. I always love his performance in The Basketball Diaries. I think that movie is just extremely underrated in general. It's also Mark Wahlberg's first film, if you can believe that. But I think he just became more of a teen icon once we got to the Titanic or you know like more people were just impressed with how he looked and how he acted he had that charm to him back then but then he became a real serious actor once we got to the departed I even say he's not great in the aviator or gangs of New York I'm glad that Martin Scorsese stuck with him I think he was still finding his footing there so I don't think that he was the best actor for those roles. I mean obviously in gangs of New York Cameron Diaz is very miscast as well I feel like Daniel Day-Lewis, if he wasn't there, great production design for that movie. I don't think that movie would be as remembered as it is because I think Leo and Cameron are very miscast in that film and you could have definitely gone a different route. But that's just my opinion. If you love Gangs in New York, let me know in the comments and that's how I would rank these roles. So anyway, guys, uh, before we move on to the next question, let me see how you guys would rank those. Let me know in the comments section. And then on to the Cavanaugh's next question. If you could relive any year of your life, what year? And when you go back with the knowledge you have now or at the time, I would actually like to go back to the year 2006 and I would like to do it with no knowledge about how my life would go from there. Yes, I am not happy with some of the decisions that I made after 2006, but in 2006, I was 14 years old. I had no worries. I'd get my next job, my first... my next job. I'd get my first job the next year in 2007, so I would spend the rest of my summers, you know, working when I wasn't in school until I graduated high school. And then after that, I just went into the workforce, and I would have really liked to change some of those decisions, like some of the jobs I would have took. But I wouldn't change anything else, because if I go back with the knowledge I have now, I know I would do things different. I would know I would 
you know, put myself through college and I know I would definitely try and have an easier jumping off point for the rest of my life. But there is a couple things in there that I would really miss that I wouldn't want to change for the world. One of those is meeting my wife. And I don't think I want to change anything that led me to that point because I absolutely love my wife. I don't even want to take the chance of not having met her. And then that also led us to our two dogs. I'm a huge dog lover and I think I have two of the greatest dogs in the world. So I don't want to lose those things. If I could change some of the decisions I made after like 2010 as far as taking certain jobs that I thought were going to better my life, I would love to change those things. But I was already with my wife to that point, so I would go back to 2006 where I was just 14 years old playing video games. That was like the first, that was the year I got my Xbox 360. I mean, games like Oblivion, Gears of War, Tony Hawk's Project 8, Call of Duty 3. Rainbow Six Vegas, like, I mean, this was a special time for me, me and Matt were living together, and we were just gaming all day, every day, movies actually were probably taking a back seat for me at that point, and I just absolutely loved that year, I mean, we still talk about it, like, we'll text each other and be like, can you believe that 2006 is almost 20 years ago now, and we just were blown away by it, that was like, that was the peak of life for me, I've never been happier than I was then, it's sad to say, but the world's just changed so much, and, you know, they warn you when you're a kid that when you become an adult, you know, you'll miss being a kid. You don't think that then. You can't wait to be an adult and do whatever you want. You know, have no one tell you what to do. And then you realize that everybody tells you what to do. <laughs> so it's not just your parents when you become an adult because, you know, bill collectors come. It's, it's a crazy thing. So you should listen to your parents when you're a kid. We all don't, though. We all think that being an adult is the greatest thing. And that's the biggest joke that they've ever pulled on us. So the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Yeah, 2006 is for me, and I would not take the knowledge that I have now back with me. I just want to relive it for what it was, which was just a great goddamn time. And the next Kevin L question is, what is the most intimidating movie characters of all time? You know, when I think of intimidating, I think of people that when they walk in a room, they strike fear. And I don't want to choose like a character like from like the Friday the 13th movies like Jason. Obviously, I'm intimidated by Jason, but I'm going to be intimidated just out of pure fear. But there's those people that when they walk in a room, they control the room. And I think you go back to Goodfellas with Tommy DeVito I think that's the most intimidating person in the world because he's not intimidating physically but you just know that he's so so much of a loose cannon that he's just gonna lose it at any minute and he doesn't care if you're a friend of his or what he's still gonna do what's best for Tommy and that character is very similar to the character he plays in Casino so I would say that he's probably had two of the most iconic intimidating characters of all time Joe Pesci in both Casino and Goodfellas so those are some of the most intimidating characters I was trying to think like Robert De Niro I mean obviously Michael Corleone in the Goodfellas, the Goodfellas, in the Godfather movies, by the second film, he is one of the most intimidating characters. Everybody is afraid of him. And most mob movies lend themselves to some of the most intimidating characters in film history, in my opinion. You know, I kind of want to take out, like, superhero films because, obviously, the villains could be intimidating. Like, the Joker in the Batman films, obviously, that's a very intimidating character. But that's intimidating also in a very different way. Like, they're coming at you and you're just so afraid of, like, that they're going to fly off the handle because they're actually psychotic. Like, they don't really have too much control of their next move and they make sure to let you know that that's one thing about the Joker is he doesn't know what he's doing and that's what puts you on the edge is that you're worried about what the hell is he going to do <laughs> so I would still probably say Joe Pesci's characters from Goodfellas and Casino are the most intimidating characters in film history and the next two questions our last two questions are from Tell Him Freddy Sent You and the first one is are you going to be picking up Videodrome and what's your favorite Cronenberg movie well I'm definitely picking up Videodrome on Criterion 4K Blu-ray when that comes out I think 
that's October. I'm going to be definitely grabbing that and the others on 4K. I'm really excited about both. I knew Videodrome was coming just when they announced that Arrow Video 4K. I knew that Criterion had the US rights, and that's why Arrow Video had the UK rights. And that's why we didn't get that here in the US. So I was like, okay, I think I know what they're doing. They're going to give us that from Criterion. And thank God they did, because I absolutely love Videodrome. It's not my favorite David Cronenberg movie. My favorite David Cronenberg movie is Dead Ringers. Jeremy Irons plays two gynecologists they're twins he gets to play both characters and he does such an amazing job in this movie he should have won the academy award for this film he actually ends up winning the academy award the next year for reversal of fortune which is a good movie he gives a he gives us definitely a standout performance but his performance as two different characters two different twins who are identical by the way and he has to play them just different enough you know who is who just based on their personalities that's a very rare thing to accomplish when it comes to playing twins usually they play them very similar and the joke is is that they look alike but no these guys are very different and yet they're helping each other this movie first of all it's a tough watch, but it is a fantastic film. It actually just had a remake that was turned into a miniseries on Amazon Prime right now that you can go check out, which I haven't checked out yet, but I heard it's pretty good. So that would be my number one. My number two would probably be The Fly, as far as Cronenberg goes. And Cronenberg's still working. He just had a movie come out last year, but David Cronenberg has really nailed it. He also, my number three would be The Dead Zone, starring Christopher Walken. That's an adaptation of a Stephen King film. So, you know, obviously David Cronenberg is somebody who makes perfect sense to bring a Stephen King film to life. But usually... it. But this doesn't have his usual body horror stuff. It showed that he could just make a good dramatic film. But, you know, body horror is, like, really what's at his core. He loves to do that. And it obviously carried over to his son, Brandon Cronenberg, with a movie like Possessor in this year's Infinity Pool, which have so much body horror stuff in there. And David Cronenberg, I just found out he's actually a pretty decent actor watching Nightbreed. So David Cronenberg can do it all. And I'm really excited that Videodrome, one of his best films, is finally coming to 4K here in the U.S. If you've seen that Arrow video 4K, let me know how is that because I... Uh, was waiting for this Criterion 4K, and that'll be the one that I grab. And then the last question this week is, thoughts on LA Knight? So LA Knight is a wrestler for WWE. If you're not a fan of wrestling, you might not like this question, so I saved it for last so you can tune out if you're not a wrestling fan. Uh, at this point, you guys know that we watched SummerSlam together last night, Saturday night. I don't know how it went yet, but you guys already know, so we could talk about that in the comments section too. Uh, hopefully it went well. Uh, LA Knight was competing in a battle royal, which I think was just there for him to win, so I'm, I'm assuming he he won because supposedly the rumor is that WWE is going to be pushing this guy to the moon. He's very well over right now. He's probably the biggest star in the company right now. And he got over organically. The guy is 40 years old. And I think that's what made people really hesitant to push him in WWE from what I was reading. So it's really cool to see him getting this push at such an older age. And people have said that this is unprecedented. And I present to you DDP. DDP didn't get over until the late 90s in WCW. But before that, he was working. He even drove the pink Cadillac at one of the WrestleManias. I think he was in his late 30s, early 40s when he finally took over and became a star and he had a great run with WCW WWE ruined him but WCW he had, he had a great run winning a few WCW titles he even named himself the people's champion before the rock did so it's weird because LA Knight has been compared to like the rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin like a throwback to the Attitude Era, which is why I personally love him, because he has great mic skills. He's also a pretty decent wrestler, so I'm hoping that the guy does great. Uh, he's not my favorite right now, but re he's getting there. I'm really enjoying him, and I'm hoping that, you know, again, I don't know what happened on SummerSlam at this moment, but we'll find out, and I'm hoping that, you know, they push him to the moon, and uh, maybe he gets a title shot. I just don't think that's going to happen on SmackDown. I think SmackDown has their title plans really set in place for the rest of the year. I think Raw will see a lot of shenanigans with the world title as 
bars when we get to WrestleMania. And I could definitely see LA Knight competing for like the World Heavyweight Championship. Maybe he wins the Royal Rumble. I don't know. But I have a feeling that he'll be competing for one of the titles come WrestleMania season because he's just too over right now. And WWE would be dumb to try and crush that at this moment. It's like Becky Lynch a few years ago. He's too much of a star. And it's just got money written all over it. And this is what WWE should be pushing. There's so many different routes that they can go with this. And as long as they don't fumble the ball, he should be in good shape. So, yeah, I really do enjoy LA Knight. But anyway, guys, thank you so much for being here with me on another episode of Let's Talk Physical Media. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. And if you did, make sure you hit that like button and subscribe to the channel. And ask questions for next week in the comment section below. Any comments about this show, next week's show. Faith was promised that she'll be back next week. So thank you again, Kevin. Tell them Freddie sent you. Rico for the questions. Everybody, if you want to ask questions in the comment section below, make sure you do that down there. Or you can always wait till the Wednesday post that I'll put up on YouTube. Ask some questions there. If you're listening to this on podcast, try and give us a five five-star rating because that's the best way to help Apple to keep pushing the show is they see the five-star ratings and they're like, oh, maybe people like these guys or ladies, whoever it is. So make sure you guys please like that, give it the five-star rating, and then after you're done doing all of that, I want you guys to get out in those streets and tell your friends about us. We'll be seeing you around. <laughs>